Okay. Whoops. Okay, dear beloved. Um, I don't have I don't have very uh, very loud voice or very much voice for that matter. The people at the retreat know that I have kind of a vocal condition called spasmodic dysphonia, and it's an involuntary twitching of the vocal cords. So my vocal cords are twitching all the time, and they work. They they get really tired. And I used to I used to sing, and I used to uh, sing, but um, and and I used to have a strong voice. Actually, I did some rap music too, but it was the rap music though was kind of a I can't believe I'm telling you this, but the rap music was a. Um, an entrepreneurial endeavor. They were they were cute, funny uh, audio greeting cards, and they were full-length songs, rap songs. Um, anyway, I, I my, I'm just telling you this because sometimes uh, it just helps me to know that you understand why my voice is a little halting and sometimes hoarse and and if I don't get sleep it gets worse and I just really haven't slept the last few nights last three four nights even at home uh, I was probably excited about coming to Portland to Beaverton so um, this can be you know pretty informal um, I, I told father that I could talk about grace what is grace? According to the, the teaching and the experience of the Orthodox Church, I have to say that I went through all of seminary um, and way beyond without having a very good understanding of what grace is um, or even paying much attention to it. So that tells you something. That tells you that... Um, I'm not so sure that we have been articulating very well what grace is. Um, and it probably wouldn't matter as much if it weren't for the fact that grace is such a prominent, um, important idea in the Protestant world. Um, although it should be important to us, and I think, you know, it is because we hear about it in different language. When we hear about the Holy Spirit, or in the liturgy, we talk a lot about the grace of the Holy Spirit. So I think sometimes we know, but we don't have the link. We haven't really learned how to speak about what grace is according to our, our tradition. And we can be influenced by the Protestant um, tradition uh, in a negative way, and so we have to make a um, we have to make a distinction. 
and our tradition is so rich, so incredibly rich. And once you really realize what grace is, it's, it just opens up a whole, um, a whole avenue toward, of, of really understanding how good God is. And, and, and importantly, most importantly, what it, it, what it means to be saved, what it means to, what salvation means. Uh, because grace is important to us, super important, because St. Paul says, by grace you have been, what's the fill in the blank? Saved. saved. By grace you have been saved through, well, faith. Right? By grace you have been saved through faith and not of works, lest any man boast. And this became, you know, this became a super integral part of the Protestant Reformation and the Counter-Reformation. And are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? And the Protestants say that we're saved by grace alone alone, and we'll find out if that's actually in the scriptures. And the Roman Catholics were saying, well, no, we're saved by works. Um, in some, on some level, we're saved by works. And the Protestants just simply couldn't, they couldn't digest that. They couldn't fathom that. Kind of understandably, because the scriptures don't say at least in a phrase, they don't say we're saved by works as much as in St. Paul's epistle, epistles, it emphasizes we're saved by grace. I can't seem to keep this microphone on. ever since I've been here. <clears throat> I just turn it off to go to the bathroom and then I have to turn on my mic again. <clears throat> so we can, we can make this a little interactive too. I had to pick up my book and just kind of remind myself because um, there's a lot of different aspects to it. And, and like I said, this is something that I perhaps have come to a bigger realization of recently and so maybe it doesn't come as naturally to me and so I just, just want to remind myself okay, what is grace according to the Orthodox Church? Um, let me ask you, first of all, how many of you, how many of you have come from a Protestant tradition in your past before Orthodoxy? Okay, I'd say the majority. Um, so, can you tell me what grace means in the Protestant world? It means you're saved. Yeah, we're saved by grace, but what is grace? It does depend 
on, on where you come from in the Protestant world. However, I would say these days it's almost, it's typically pretty homogenous. And I would say that most Protestant denominations are pretty much coalescing into one big evangelical mess. Like, everything, all the denominations, if you're Presbyterian or if you're Methodist, it's all pretty much just fallen down into a sort of belief that is, um, that's very similar to non-denominational evangelical Protestantism. It's all just kind of, I can't think of the word, but... I have a question. Uh, reading your book, I thought it was fascinating about grace being uh, natural to humanity mm -hmm. versus the Western understanding of it being something totally foreign to humanity. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Or anything in relation to divine energy or however? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you don't mind, before I do that, Let's just kind of get a basic contrast between the Protestant understanding and the Orthodox. So, in the Orthodox, in the Protestant understanding of grace, does anybody have like a little soundbite of what they typically mean by that? Okay. Okay, good. It's a transaction, a legal transaction. We were taught mercy was not getting something that you do deserve, and grace was getting something you don't deserve. Okay. Now, definitely we're taught that we don't deserve it. Yes. And related to that idea of legal imputation of Christ's righteousness to you, you're being accounted as if you had Christ's righteousness, but really you're still a pilot dog. Yes, that's true. I, I, I quoted that in my book. Um, according to Martin Luther, we're a humanity, sinful humanity, fallen humanity is a pile of dung. Um, okay, so you guys are talking about the transactional part which we can talk about, but just in general, typically, here's the problem. Um, the Western church, after the schism, never really talked about what grace is. They talked a lot about what grace does, and in the Roman church, they don't really have a definition for grace, but they can tell you that there's all kinds of grace and, and it does different things. They have, um, I can't remember, I have it in my book. They have all kinds of different kinds of grace that do different things. Um, that in and of itself is a difference from orthodoxy because we say, we say that God's divine grace or energies is the same. It's the same, it's always the same. But it, it, it interacts with us or it produces in us according to our condition, according to what we need and what we can receive. So if we're in a condition of purification, still trying to be purified of the 
of the passions, grace becomes purifying grace to us. If we're illumined, it becomes illumining grace. If we're deified, it becomes deifying grace. Um, at some point, I'll find all the different names that the Roman Catholics have for grace, different kinds of grace. But the one basic soundbite that you find in Protestantism to describe grace is that grace is the unmerited favor of God. And I do believe that you can, you can translate grace as favor, but what the Protestants did is their understanding of grace is very um, monolithic. And grace is God's favor. Okay, so what happens is it's, it becomes very narrow in, in scope. The grace of God is basically, to put it, to oversimplify it, is how God feels about you. Does he like you? If so, you have favor. He, so grace is kind of God's attitude toward you. It's not something that is substantial and that is organic and is a true kind of something, a substance that we actually receive. It's really an attitude that God has toward you. And so when a Protestant gets saved, they say, well, I have now believed in Jesus. I have confessed him as my personal savior. And because now I have faith in him, or I believe in him, God shows me his favor. God is now favorable toward me. And so that has the, um, that has the, the idea that grace is just kind of an attitude, that God changes his attitude towards us. And one time at the checkout counter at a grocery store, a woman was commenting on my cross, and she said, I'm a Christian, and I'm a new Christian. And she said, I confessed faith in Jesus, and God put Jesus, excuse me, God puts on Jesus-colored glasses. And now he sees me as he sees Jesus. He sees me as being righteous. But what has really happened? Has anything actually happened? <coughs> Nothing really has happened. It's just that the belief is that God has changed his, his attitude. I did it again. God changed his attitude. And so, in... This is really going to have to be edited. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in Protestantism, um, salvation happens because, first of all, 
they have the idea that was first started in Roman Catholicism, the satisfaction theory of atonement. So the idea is that because of Adam's sin, God was dishonored by humanity and his dignity was disgraced. And so God could not forgive humanity because his honor was offended. God was offended. And that required then that God would need to send his son because the idea was, this is according to the feudal, the feudal feudalism, that in order to restore God's honor, a satisfaction had to be made. And in the Roman church, satisfaction means penance. It's a penance. But the problem is, is that um, God is infinite. And so God needs an infinite satisfaction to be made. And no new human being can make an infinite satisfaction. We None of us could make a um, satisfactory penance. And so God had to send his son, who is divine and therefore infinite, and Christ was able to satisfy God's honor and God being offended by our sin. And so therefore God was able to forgive and his honor was restored. So when we, when we profess faith in Jesus, God forgives us and he shows favor to us now. And that's salvation. God changes his attitude. What's wrong with that picture? Yeah, God doesn't change, first of all. God doesn't change and it, it makes God responsible for the whole problem. It's God's problem. It's not our problem. And God needs to change. But in reality, we're the ones who need to repent, right? It's repentance. As St. Peter said, when the people at Pentecost said, what then should we do? You know, he, he didn't say, well, Profess your faith in Jesus and God will change his attitude and he will repent. He said, repent, you repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so you see that's the, that's sort of the context. And in America, even if we think we're not affected by that, we really are, we're, we're like swimming in that kind of theological sea. Um, there's all kinds of muck and pollution in the culture, the religious culture we, we swim in. And so we pick up that stuff. Alright? So that's the first thing. Um, so grace is God's, is the unmerited favor of God. Emphasis on unmerited. So Protestants get really afraid if you talk about anything that you do to further your salvation. 
and then it becomes works salvation. Okay, but this is kind of a fantasy anyway, because even Protestants, they say you have to do stuff. You have to read your Bible, or you have to pray, you know, but they just, but, and it goes, it goes as far as to, in some Protestant circles, where they say that baptism is a work, that baptism isn't even necessary because it's a work, something we do to try to earn God's grace. The reason they were so afraid of that initially is because of what was going on in Roman Catholicism with um, indulgences. And the Roman Catholic Church since that time has, they've reformed their, some of their ideas about indulgences. You, you typically can't buy them anymore, for instance. But indulgences are, are a way that you get forgiven for your temporal, the temporal punishment that is due for sin. Forgive me, just tell me if I'm getting too technical, but I'll define it for you. Every time a person sins, if you're a Roman Catholic, according to Roman Catholicism, there is any there is a let's say an eternal punishment and there's a temporal punishment. The eternal punishment, especially if you let's say you commit a big sin. If you don't go to confession, you go to hell. Because, and I mean, in some ways, that teaching is okay because there are mortal sins. There are sins that, that put you out of communion with God. But with, with every sin, now there's not only the, temp, the spiritual um, punishment that you have to make satisfaction for, and that's why you go to confession and you, you get a penance. But also there's a temporal punishment. And the temporal punishment does not get fixed by confession. How do you get rid of the temporal punishment? You get rid of that with a penance. And it's also called making satisfaction. And Thomas Aquinas um, joined that concept with the idea of punishment. So you have to be punished. And that's how penance became associated more with punishment um, in the Roman church. But if you don't, if you don't make satisfaction for the temporal punishment that's due to your sin, when you die, you won't go directly to heaven. You'll go to purgatory for a period of time. Okay, so that's the theology. And then historically, the preachers were preaching about this and they were manipulating people by saying, um, if you give to, the, to help to build St. Peter's Church in Rome, you will get a full indulgence from the Pope which people wanted because I don't want to go to purgatory I want to go straight to heaven and they would so 
so if, in effect, they would be paying money in order to get an indulgence, which erases their temporal punishment. And not everybody, not everybody understood this. They thought, just in general, you're, you're paying to get to heaven. And certainly the Protestants saw the danger in that. And uh, Martin Luther, um, most of his 95 theses were about indulgences and penance and satisfaction. That's the reason, that's the first reason really that he was upset. And he didn't want to leave the Roman church initially, he just wanted to get some things fixed. All right, so the Protestants said, well, this is wrong. We cannot earn salvation. And Martin Luther, after 15 or 1600 years of church history, said, I finally came up with what St. Paul means in Romans. It means that we're saved by grace alone. And we're saved by faith alone. And so, we don't do, we can't do any works that bring us to salvation. And then, today evangelicals, but Martin Luther didn't talk about baptism as a work or any sacraments as a work. And he, he believed that it was good to go to confession, although he didn't really say it was a sacrament and things like that. But today, of course, it's just been lowest common denominator. Interestingly, the way this ended up affecting people was either it became a Protestantism of um, moralism where everything was based on what you did or what you didn't do rather. You don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't listen to rock music, you don't dance, you, and so you're a good Christian. Or it led to what the Shem is talking about, um, doesn't matter what you do, because you're saved, and God has shown his favor, and that's never going to change. Because salvation doesn't have anything to do with what you do, it's just what you believe in your heart or your mind, and it's this abstract idea. So my father-in-law always talks about beliefism, and he says, in Orthodoxy, we because of this environment we live in, we're, and even before this environment actually, we're going to find out with St. Gregory Palamas and the heretic Barlami. Beliefism tried to creep itself into the church. So if you just believe with your mind, and orthodoxy becomes an intellectual set of dogmas that you believe in, I believe in the seven ecumenical councils, then that's what salvation is. Okay, so what do... Five minutes? Oh, I didn't know how long it was. Okay, sorry, this is bad. Okay, 
Orthodox Christianity then believes what we, how we understand grace is that grace is the uncreated energies of God, the uncreated divine life and power of God. So when we say grace, not before eating, when we say grace, we mean God's own life is coming and penetrating and entering into us. It's an organic, substantial reality. It's not God's attitude merely toward us. It's not an idea. It's not just an idea that we have about salvation, that if we believe in Jesus, God will save us. It's actually something that's entering into us that has the effect of truly joining us to God, making us united to God. See, so that's a big difference. Um, So, grace, in the Orthodox understanding, is just, is even more real, but certainly just as real, as the rays of the sun. When you go outside, you, you feel the rays of the sun, you feel the warmth, and actually those rays, they actually interact with your skin and cause a chemical reaction to give you some pigment, to give you some, or rather to darken your pigment in your skin. And in the same way, grace is something real, but unlike the rays of the sun, it's uncreated. Those are The sun has um, created energy. God has uncreated energy. And the uncreated energies of God naturally flow from Him. This is the distinction between the essence of God and the energies of God. This is something that the St. Basil the Great and others talked about. But St. Gregory Gregory of Palamas actually things came to a head in the 14th century and he really kind of had to deal with this and he further refined and articulated this distinction between God's essence which is beyond us and unknowable it's the inner life of God it's like nobody can know what it's like to be God and what it's like to be Trinity and what it's like to be to have love for the Son the Father to have love for the Son and the Son to have love for the Father and so forth and to be the Holy Trinity but the energies of God which are also which are God's true life and power and strength they those energies uh, are given to us And through them, we can know God and experience God. Truly experience God. And through them, we can know Him. I don't know if we have enough time if you're going to address this. Maybe to leave pretty soon. But it seems there's an an additional thing about grace, which is it involves God's decision. 
God decides God's decision? Well, really, um, I would be careful with that. Certainly God can do whatever He pleases, and He can withhold His grace. And he, I mean, it's all in His hands, right? And we do say that grace is a free gift. But we also say that typically, the typical scenario is that when we open ourselves up to grace, that God typically gives it. Just like when your son or daughter does something um, honorable, you typically reward them. You know? So we don't, but that's not a, but they're not earning your love. They're just, they're just like pleasing you, if you will. And you naturally want, you love them, so you naturally want to give them. Right? So, um, just like we have, to, if we want a suntan, if we want to feel the warmth of the, of the sun, we have to do something. We have to go outside and get in the rays of the sun. Now, there can be clouds outside. It can be cloudy, and the sun is being blocked. But that doesn't mean the sun is mad at you. The sun doesn't like you. That's a primitive way of thinking about things, right? You know, a primitive person goes outside and the sun is being blocked by the cloud and they say, sun not like us, sun upset with us, sun angry with us. But no, there's a cloud in front of the sun. The clouds in front of the sun when it comes to divine grace are our sinfulness and our inability to open ourselves to God's grace. Our lack of... Um, openness and preparation to receive God's grace. I'm sorry, I didn't know it was so short, so... Forgive me, uh, and you're welcome to continue talking with people as much as you like. I just want to say thank you very much for offering me Thank you. Thank you, Father Matthew. It's been a delight to get to know you a little bit.